So let's turn to Genesis chapter 32. As Jared said, we're walking through. We've been studying for over a year now Genesis where God is revealing Himself to us, His character to us. And we've looked at two primary things. That God makes promises to His people and that God keeps His promises to His people. And we see that throughout the book of Genesis. He's done that through uh, three main characters so far. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and now we're in the middle of Jacob. These three men are the patriarchs of our faith. We know that from the, the New and Old Testament. That God had given them this promise and that promise will be uh, fulfilled and is being fulfilled through Jesus Christ and will be fulfilled in His return. That He will gather His people, the church, to return to Him. And so just as a way of recap where we're at in this story, remember that Jacob had uh, deceived his father Isaac with the help of his mother, uh, had betrayed his older brother Esau, had gone to his uncle Laban, and, and Laban deceived Jacob. And so when Jacob, uh, our, yes, when Jacob arrived, uh, he fell in love with his wife Rachel, uh, and then he got deceived to marry Leah, and then he got deceived again to live with Laban for 20 total years. And so as we looked at last week, God has said now to Jacob, it's time to return back to the promised land. Remember back in Genesis chapter 28, when God first spoke in, uh, in a dream to Jacob, He said, I have a promised land for you, and I have a promise to make your descendants as vast as this, the sand uh, by the seashore. And so now God has called him back and says it's time to return home. And so we saw last week that Laban and Jacob have this conflict. And in that conflict, they come to this place of agreement that, hey, from here on out, we're going to put this marker in the sand. You don't cross to the right. I won't cross to the left. And we'll live at peace, though we'll never have anything to do with each other. And so this morning, where we find ourselves is Jacob is on his way. That's what we see in verse 1 of chapter 32. He's on his way where? Back to the promised land. Back to where God had said to him, I want to make you a mighty nation. But remember who is back in the promised land? Esau, the older brother. And remember, the last that we saw of Esau was what? Esau was livid at Jacob. Remember, Esau said to himself as he as Jacob was wandering off, the way he was going to find comfort was to what? Kill Jacob. And now so for these 20 years, what's been going on in the mind and heart of Jacob, if I ever go back to the promised land, I have someone that wants to kill me. Now this had to be a terrifying journey for this man, correct? Like Think about that for a moment. He knows, hey, there's no returning. I, I can't go back to Laban because I made a promise if I go back there, I'm killed. But if I continue forward, I'm going to be killed. But I can't remain in this wilderness. And God has told me to go back to the promised land. And so we're going to look this morning. Uh, I know in the bulletin it said this. It said, uh, I renamed the, the passage or the, the sermon this morning. It's called the preparation. We're going to look at two sections. The preparation to meet Esau. That's verse 1-22. through 22. And then the next one is the preparation from God. That is verses 22 through 33. So let's look first at the preparation of Jacob meeting Esau. The first place is this. In the preparation, Jacob's protection. 
verses 1 and 2. It said Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said this, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mihamam, which means two camps. So here we see God's preparation as he meets Esau. But the first thing that we see is this. And Jacob will forget this in just a few short verses. That God is with him. That God made a promise to him. Remember that promise that he made in Genesis chapter 28. He said, I'm going to do all this, but in doing all this, I will always be what with you. And so now again, God, through his angels, goes to minister to Jacob as he's terrified walking back to the promised land. And God sends a host or an army of angels to meet Jacob at his camp to remind Jacob that he is not alone. So the first thing that we see in the preparation that Esau, for Esau is God's protection. Now, you got to remember this because here in verse 7, things change for Jacob drastically. In just six verses, from verses 1 and 2 all the way to 7, he forgets God's protection. And I wonder how often for us, we forget that God is with us. Jesus' very name, I've said this over the last several weeks, Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, it says this, where there are two or three gathered in My name, I am among you. As the church, as the people of God, God is always with us. But how often do we forget that? How often does Satan rob us of that thought that God is with us? If God is with us and God is for us, Paul says this, then who can be against us? And yet, do we not often forget that God is with us and God is for us? So the first thing we see is Jacob's protection. The next thing that we see come out of that is Jacob's plan. Jacob sent his servants before him to Esau, his brother, in the land. He instructed his servants and said this to them, Say to my brother, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus your servant Jacob, I have sojourned from Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks, male servants, female servants. I have sent them to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And then the messengers returned to Jacob saying, he, he came to, We came to your brother Esau and he was coming to meet you and there were 400 men with him. Verse 7. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and divided the people who were with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. All of a sudden, from verses 1 and 2 to verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, there's this chasm. Already, God is saying to Jacob, hey, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'll never leave you. And the moment that fear enters in is where Jacob comes up with his own plan. Anyone relate to that? 
how often do we, in the midst of our fear, come up and devise a plan to keep ourselves safe? You see, the first part that we see is Jacob is trying to appease his older brother. He says two different places. He calls Esau what? His master or Lord. But if you remember back in the story, who was going to be the master or Lord over Esau? Was it not going to be Jacob? That was the promise given to his parents before they ever were born that, hey, the younger will have master over the older or the older will serve the younger. And now all of a sudden, I believe that finally Jacob's conscience is finally catching up to him. And so he's coming. He's coming to make amends. But in making amends, he has this overwhelming sense of fear. That his brother is coming with 400 people. You don't show up somewhere if you're not looking for a fight with 400 people, right? Like if you're looking for peace, you don't show up with 400 people. And so Jacob is terrified. Why would my older brother be showing up with 400 people? There's only one reason he'd be showing up with 400 people. That's to get the job done. Remember all that Jacob had. He had some servants, he had some children, and he had four wives. He did not have an army of people to protect him. And he gets terrified. But look what happens in the heart of Jacob. So he has this plan, he devises this plan to divide his flock, to make sure that he can uh, both survive and appease the older brother. But then he comes to his senses in verses 9. Jacob finally prays. I so often wish that he would have started with prayer and not came to the place that he needed prayer. But I cannot judge him because I often do that myself as I would imagine that we do that as well. But he finally comes back to the Lord. Jacob's prayer verses 9 through 12, we see four things about Jacob's prayer. These four things are Jacob has a proper approach. Jacob has a proper posture. Jacob has a proper petition. And finally, Jacob has a proper request. But let's look at Jacob's prayer, the makeup of his prayer. This is the only recorded prayer of Jacob in the Bible. Yes, we know he's prayed before, but this is the only place that we know of what his detailed prayer life looked like. So his first approach, the proper approach in our prayer, I, th- I believe for us, we can take these four examples for our own prayer life. The first thing it says is this in verse 9. This is his approach. He approaches and says, O oh God, the Father of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord, you have said to me, return to your country and your kindred, and I may do you good. His first, his approach is he knows who he's approaching. Look who he says. He calls him both Lord and God. He has a proper understanding of who God is. It's, it's a very similar way to Jesus taught us to pray in, in Matthew. That we would come and we would understand who we are praying to. He is God and He is Lord. He is not a genie in a bottle. And that's, that's where I was praying in the beginning of my prayer. I think so often we forget who God is. 
we minimize His majesty. We minimize His power. We minimize His sovereignty. We minimize His goodness. We don't fully understand who God is. And yet Jacob in this moment understood Him to be God and Lord. So when we approach God, we must approach Him with a proper perspective of who He is. But now look at His posture. In approaching God for who He is will always bring us to an understanding of who we are. His approach leads to His posture. He says this in verse 10, I am not worthy. You see, when we understand who God is, it will always bring us to our knees to a place of being humbled. You see, this was a man, Jacob, for most of his life up until this moment that was super self-sufficient. Everything that we see in the life of Jacob was a man that was full of pride and full of selfishness and full of self-will. And now in this moment, he finally approaches God and approaching God, he has this understanding of who God is, but it brings him to his knees to say, I am not even worthy to come before you. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, I pray for our church is that we would have a healthy understanding of who God is and therefore we'd have an even healthier understanding of who we are. We are sinners in need of a gracious and kind and forgiving God. Which then lead him, led him to his proper petition because he was humble and because he knew he had no strength. He was no longer self-sufficient. He said this, to God, please deliver me from the hand of my brother. The proper petition is this. He asked God to do for him what only God could do. Because he was humble, he had finally came to a place that he recognized he could do nothing on his own power and his own strength. It's what Jesus said. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That only comes out of a place of being humble before an almighty God. Which then he says this, his proper request in verse 12. But you said, he's talking to God, but you, God, said this, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sea, sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered or multiplied. His request comes back as remembering the promises of God. His request to God or His petition before God or His prayer before God, this was not that He would need to remind God of what God's promises were. He was saying this as a reminder to Himself what God's promises were. He was taking God's Word and praying it back to God. If you struggle in your prayer life, here is your greatest place to learn how to pray. You don't need to watch a YouTube clip. You don't need to listen to another sermon. You don't need to read another book. If you don't know how to pray, simply open God's Word up and pray these words right back to Him. If you're struggling with it, I would submit to you, start in the book of Psalms. And every day for the next 30 days, just take Psalm 1 and pray it back to Him. Tomorrow, Psalm 2, pray it back to Him. Word for word. We as the church ought never to struggle in our prayer life because He's given us 
exactly what to pray and how to pray it. And how often do we struggle in our prayer life thinking, I, if I could just pray better, if I could just pray more, if I could just pray right. Here is our instructions of how to pray and what to pray. That is all that Jacob did that day was pray back to God what God had directly spoken to him. He didn't add anything. He didn't take anything away. He simply said, hey, this is what you said. And I pray this. I will surely do you good. God, do me good. God, keep your promises. He's taking God's very words and just praying them right back to God. Not, again, to remind God what His promises are, but to remind Himself what God's promises are. And now let's see what He does after He prays this beautiful prayer. He now presents His presence in preparation for His brother. He is done praying and says, it says this, so he stayed there that night. And for what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. And this is his presence. He had 550 uh, animals that he was going to give to his brother. He was going to give it to him in chunks of three. So that he would send a, a batch of it out in front of him. So that when Esau came, it would appease him a little bit more. He'd go a little bit further, it'd appease him a little bit more. He'd go a little bit further the third time, it would appease him. So it would soften the heart of Esau to finally come into contact with Esau. So he has his preparation given to him by God to present this presence, to make amends, to live at full peace with his brother. 550 animals may not sound like a lot to you. It was a lot back then. And so Jacob was going to do anything in his power because of what God had just taught him in his prayer life to live at peace with his brother. It's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Just as a small way of application. What are you and what are I willing to do to live at peace with people? What lengths are we willing to go to live at peace? Peace is not dependent on the other person, God's Word says. Peace is dependent on us. Are we willing to live at peace with the other person? Now we get into probably the most famous part of Jacob's life. But this is how God is going to prepare Jacob. Remember where Jacob is headed. Jacob is headed to the promised land. And so God is going to need to prepare Jacob to go into the promised land. And so that's where we see Jacob. He now has made provisions for his family. It says this in verse, uh, uh, verse 22. Jacob's with his whole family. He had divided them. He brought them back together. And it says this. That same night he arose and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jacob, which is a river. So he's getting his family out of harm's way to live at peace with his brother just in case his brother doesn't want to live with him. He's going to protect his family. Now we'll see in chapter 33, he does this a little selfishly. He takes his servants, put, puts them in front first. So if he kills Jacob, he'll go kill his servants. And then he puts Leah next. So we know that he's not 
the most fond of Leah. So Leah would be killed next, and finally he gets to, to Rachel. He's still a shrewd man, um, and God is still going to need to work on him as does the Lord need to work on us. But he at least takes his family, moves them in and out of harm's way, and then it says this, he took them and sent them across the stream and everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone. I believe this is where God works on us the most, when we're alone. Is that not true for you? It's been true for me. So often when God takes everything away from me, and I'm left alone in a wilderness by myself, God begins to work on my heart in ways He could not with all the distractions. And so I don't know what it is or how it is that God may be causing you this morning to be alone. But I do know this from the promises of God. God is taking you to be alone, to get intimate with you, to work on your heart, to change you in ways that He could not with all the distractions. And so it's a sleepless night. Again, he's out under the stars all by himself, all alone. And it says this, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. We know later on in the text that it was so dark out that Jacob could not even recognize the man. Could you imagine sitting in the middle of nowhere all by yourself and all of a sudden you feel someone's hand grab you? Again, that had to be terrifying. Remember what's going through the heart and mind of Jacob. He's fearful for his very life. Who, who was this man? Was, he, was, it, was it Esau coming to finally kill him? Was it an assassin sent by Esau to kill him? Was it a, a robber that had just kind of been wandering around to take all this stuff? All that Jacob knows is, hey, i got to wrestle for my life. And he begins to wrestle with this man to the break of day. Many scholars believe this that it was well over a six-hour wrestling match. Now, I don't know if you've ever wrestled with your siblings before. I can't really make it with my own kids more than four minutes without getting winded. And that, that's Cedar and Tennyson. They're, they're little. That, that's not grown men. But here's a grown man wrestling with Jacob. The struggle. Verses 24 and 25. The man approaches and begins to wrestle with Jacob. It says this in verse 25, When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with the man. Now all of a sudden, Jacob had to know that he's not wrestling with a mortal man. Like if someone can just touch your hip socket and your hip goes out of joint, that, that's no average ordinary man. And in that moment, Jacob realizes something. I've been wrestling with a divine being. And he says this. They now have this conversation or the speech, verses 26 through 29. Then he said, let me go. This is the man speaking. Let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Verse 27 is the key to the passage. And he said to him, 
what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, why is that the key to the passage? The entire passage hinges on that one word. Who are you is what the man says. And Jacob in that moment has to tell him who he is. Remember what the name Jacob means. It means heel grabber. It means scoundrel. He, in that moment, is exposing his character to the divinity, to the divine. This is who I am. Remember, God is having to prepare this man to go into the promised land. And so, do you want to know the reason that God changed His name from Jacob to Israel? Is because God had to change who He was in order to get Him into the promised land. And the only way to do that was to wrestle and change Him. And so if you're all alone and God is wrestling with you, it's to prepare you for what He has next and ultimately prepare you for the kingdom, there would be no way for Jacob to have entered the promised land being Jacob. He had to be changed both inwardly and externally. Jacob doesn't receive the blessing right away. He exposes himself, or what we would say here in the church, he confesses who he is. And then the man said this, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man, and you have prevailed. There's many scholars that have different views on what the name Israel means. What I believe it means is this, that God rules. So every time that Jacob's name was called Israel, he'd remember that God is ruler over all things, even his own life. And then Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And then he gave him his blessing. And then we see the settlement. It says this, so Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. Remember what, this is the writer Moses. Moses was unable to see God's face, if you remember. He asked God when he's up on the mountain, God, let me see your face. And what does God say to him? You cannot see my face because if you see my face, you will surely die. But Jacob sees the face of God. Now, I believe it's the same way that Moses saw the face of God. I don't think that Jacob saw him face to face without a covering. I, I believe that's why the man said to Jacob, hey, I can't keep wrestling with you. Because if the sun comes up, you will see my glory. And if you see my glory, you will be toast. But Jacob at least has an understanding. I, I've seen more of God than I've ever seen of Him before. And my prayer for you, my prayer in my own life, as I'm wrestling with God, I have those sleepless nights. I have those struggles. And I just want to know what God is doing. My prayer is that by the end of you're wrestling with God, you could say, I have seen the face of God. It's not been easy. Remember, this man wrestled for six hours. It's not easy. Wrestling with God is not easy. But wrestling with God always leads to seeing God. And seeing God always leads to the next thing. Change.
says this in the passage. He had seen God. He had been delivered by God. Verse 31. The sun rose upon him and he passed to kneel, limping because of his hip. When you wrestle with God and you have an encounter with God and you see God face to face, you ought to have a change. You see, for the rest of his life, Jacob was going to walk with a limp. But that was a limp to remind him of his change that occurred because of wrestling with God. Just a few things of application this morning. The first one is this. Have you wrestled with God? Are you wrestling with God? You see, God wants to wrestle with us to change us. You see, it was in that wrestling match with God that God was preparing Jacob to enter the promised land. That Jacob could not enter as Jacob. Jacob had to enter in as Israel, a changed man. You see, our encounters with God, our wrestling with God will always lead us to change. And it's so that God can do something in us to prepare us for eternity. You see, if you and I don't wrestle with God and we stay unbelievers, we will never enter into eternity with Him. There has to be a change that occurs in you and in me to have an encounter eternally with God. In saying that, I'd say this. Look who started the fight. Jacob was not going out that night looking for a fight. Remember, Jacob was out running from a fight. But we see that God wanted to pursue and change Jacob, even when Jacob didn't want to change. You see, God is after pursuing people. Will you engage God as He pursues you? Make no mistake, you are not pursuing God first. God is always pursuing you first. The same way that He did Jacob. But in saying this, I'll say this. When God pursues you and begins to wrestle with you, will you continue to wrestle with God? Will you be persistent the same way that Jacob was persistent in wrestling with God? I wonder how many times that night that Jacob wanted to wave the surrender flag and give up. And I wonder how often in our lives when we begin, God wrestles with us, we engage with God, it's too much and we just want to give up and walk away from God, walk away from all of it. But what we see here is that Jacob was a persistent man because he desired a blessing from God. It's the same thing that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11. Remember that he's just teaching his disciples how to pray. And in Luke chapter 11, he gives this parable about the persistent neighbor. Remember, he, the neighbor comes and knocks on the door and says to the neighbor, hey, will you give me some food because I've got a visitor that came in. And the neighbor says, no, no, I don't have time. All my kids, we're all sleeping. And what does the, the neighbor do? He bangs on the door more and more and more. And it's what Jesus says next. Seek me. Knock and I'll open the door. Come and be with me. Be persistent in our lives with the Lord. You see, there's so many things that we can learn in this text. But my prayer is this, that when we wrestle with God, and God changes who we are, we 
become a new character and we begin and continue to wrestle with God, that when we have that encounter, that you and I will walk with a limp the rest of our lives, remembering all that God has done for us. I pray that we be a church that limps. Because it would be a reminder that we've had such an encounter with God. And that when other people see us as a church that limps, we then get to tell the story of the goodness of God. If you've ever been around someone that has a limp or has something going on, is it not a thing that draws you to ask questions? Hey, how'd that happen? Or how'd that happen? And you get to tell the story. You see, if you're here this morning, you're a believer this morning, all of us have limps. Because we were all like Jacob, who were self-sufficient, thought we had it all together, and God had an encounter with us that ought to have changed us for all eternity. Let's live as men and women in the church that will limp to show people you don't have to have it all together. But God wants to pursue you even when you don't have it all together. And join us as we walk with a limp. May we be a church that God is preparing to take into the world, to tell our story. That we must have a change to enter the kingdom of God. I'll end with this verse. It's what he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, in Christ he is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. If you wrestle with God and you prevail with God, you are not who you used to be. You are a new creation. May we go and live that way. Let me pray for us this morning. God, I'm grateful for all that you do. I pray for us as a church that we would look and be reminded of this story of Jacob, who was a self-sufficient man. But in this evening, God, you made him dependent on you. And you changed him forever. You took his old and made it new. He was no longer Jacob, but Israel from that moment on as he walked with you, though he walked with a limp. I pray that we would be men and women that would have an encounter that would leave us walking with a limp, but would leave us as new creatures ready for the kingdom of God. I pray this in your mighty and holy name. Amen. You'd rise for the benediction this morning. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of all love and peace will be with you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit will be with you also. Grace and peace be with you today.